come with us. Into the wild wood. And find the magic within. Welcome fellow travellers into the Wildwood Pagan Podcast with your hosts, myself, Lee, and Rev Kai. Hello. Somewhere. Don't know where I am in the screen today. This way. That way. No. Yes. <laughs> All right. How has has everybody been? Sorry, we have had major interruptions for the past month, um, but we should be good for the next few weeks. So uh, we'll get there. Uh, let's see. We've got Schrodinger's cats in. We've got Yolandi, Poppamies, and Pamela. Welcome. Thanks for joining us. Hello, everyone. Uh, you know, I, I am big head today. I'm leaning forward because my chair is going to kill me if I lean backwards. So please excuse us. <laughs> it's not one thing, it's another lately. Yep. <laughs> but this is right. the last Friday of the month, but with missing so much. And next month has five Fridays. So we'll do the astro forecast next week on the 1st of September. Hopefully that'll go. be that early enough. Yeah, that should be. All right, so today we're doing, we're talking about the tarot. As I think we're going, going to do part of, this is as part of a series on divination techniques. Yeah. Yeah. thought we'd break it up by type, as that's the usual way divination is divided. So um, mm. in my mind, at least, we've got tarot for sure, pendulum, um, and scrying, I think. Mm. Are, you know, but if you have other specific divination techniques, please let us know because this is, has been requested several times and it's been requested when we've talked about those divination techniques and then like, hey, can you do a show just on that? Mm. So I have written down scrying and tarot and pendulum for sure that we're asked about. But if there's others you, you want us to delve into, just let us know. I'll put them on the list. Actually, there is one to put on the list because I'm reading um, um, Paul Hewson's uh, Mastering Witchcraft again. Oh, and right. he talks about it's, it, he calls it rune casting, but it's, it's more like um, I Ching. Um, oh, sorry. Yeah. It, yeah, he takes the, the four staves and there's one dot on the one side and two dots on the other side. And then you sort of cast them. And then he's got this whole table of how to calculate the mothers, the daughters. Um, and then they also relate it to the... Um... Geomancy. Yes. Yes. Geomancy. I, I practice yeah. geomancy. We can do a show on that. Mm. I can talk my way through that. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, right, we've got uh, Sappho here. Hello, hello. Bones and Curios, said Pamela. All right. Yeah, we'll put that on the list too. Mm. Good, good. All right. So where do we want to start with tarot? Um, if anybody's got questions, please put them in the chat. And we'll get to all of the questions today. 
And they don't necessarily have to be questions either. You can just be like, can you talk about da-da-da-da-da, you know? Mm. Sometimes they're like, well, I want to know about this, but I don't, I don't know how to make it a question. Mm. Feel free to just, <laughs> just suggest topics. That's perfectly fine. <laughs> All right. Where do we want to start with Taro? Well, um... <clears throat> So one thing that has come up a lot when I teach tarot classes is people ask me about teaching oracle cards or reading with oracle cards. And I can't really teach oracle cards as a, a subject because every single oracle deck is different. It has a different structure. It has a different goal. It has a different method of use. But you can teach tarot as a subject with a wide variation of decks underneath there because tarot is a specific structure. It is a specific symbol set. So it's 78 cards with a major arcana. Arcana means key or sometimes secret grouping of 22 cards, 21 plus one really, and then a minor arcana of four suits, each containing 13 cards, one through 10, or 14 cards, 1 through 10, and 4 core cards in each suit. Um, now, under that, there are three main structures of Tarot. There's the Rider Waite Smith version, that structure. There is the Crowley Thoth version, and then there is the Marseille version. All of those still match that 78 card structure with the four elemental suits and the majors. Um, 21 trumps plus the fool, so on and so forth. But um, the ordering of the trumps is a little bit different. Um, the uh, understanding of the numerology uh, expressed through the minors is a little bit different in each of those three major categories. There are also other tarots um, that still fit tarot, but don't exactly adhere to one of those three big models. Um, but will still work when learning general tarot. I highly suggest if you're brand new to tarot, you pick a model, one of those big three, and you study just that first. Because if you start trying to compare or um, worse blend, you're not going to get a complete set. And it's going mm. to be confusing. Once you get one set down, way easier to go on and learn the others and be able to, to gain insight from that and compare and understand the differences. But um, it does get very confusing. So when I teach a tarot class, I always specify this is a class on tarot, the Marseille format, or tarot, the Waitsmith format, so on and so forth. Um, because I, I, it's, it's too much to try to learn them side by side. Um, once you got them down, go learn the next one go learn another one, pick up some decks that don't fit those rhyme schemes because there's there's so much to find and uh, get everything in there to learn about. Hmm. Uh, Yolandi's got a question. Um, why is it that I often get the experience that the meaning of the card and the feeling from the card that I get is different? Uh, because you don't speak the same symbolic language that the author of the tarot deck is using mm. so, so really really tapping into the symbolism of the card itself yeah the pers tarot personal symbolism 
as symbol heavy language. Um, and, and that's what studying the tarot is uh, very frequently is learning that particular symbol, symbolic language. And if you're just looking at the pictures without <coughs> studying what um, the author is using the symbols to represent or without being in that tradition, you're going to get the feeling of the card. And those are, can be very different. Um, in the uh, Waitsmith system, one thing I always point to is the Three of Swords. A lot of people see that card. It's a heart with three swords through it. And they interpret it as sorrow, heartbreak, loss. Uh, it's got clouds, dark skies, sometimes shown with rain. But that's an emotional thing, which belongs in the cup suit. Mm. Swords are about words, communication, mental energies, thoughts. And so that doesn't fit the story of the minor arcana of the swords. And I interpret it as... Um, you know, threes are about community. They're the point past the twos and the partnership. Threes always look forward to something because there is clear growth here. There is the the movement through. And so that three swords crossed uh, through a heart or through a rose is um, a ancient symbol of secret orders. And it would be carved in the lintel to signify that, you know, sub rosa, what's said here stays here. Uh, these are keeping our oaths and, and all of the the connections in, in the great revival of the Victorian occult age of, you know, on pain of death and so on and so forth that many of these secret lodges um, extracted. This represents oaths or knowledge, words, thought, the representation of the swords and air in community in three. You're bringing all this knowledge together and working together. And trust is a huge part of that. And so there can be broken trust represented by this card that then leads to sorrow and heartbreak, which so I'm not, you know, sorrow and heartbreak is not, not the meaning. But that understanding of the bigger picture of the story of the arcana, of the symbolism that's used. Uh, another popular one is the Seven of Pentacles. Um, in the Waite Smith uh, imagery, this is a reference, a particular reference to a piece of art that was very popular that went along with a particular poem at the time that Pamela Coleman Smith was illustrating this tarot deck. Now nobody knows anything about it. Uh, we don't, we no longer have that reference because even though it was huge in her world and, and big in the English art scene, that particular poem and painting uh, of the farmer leaning on his hoe uh, in the field uh, didn't turn out to become popular and go viral, basically. So we don't have that reference anymore. And so, you know, studying is about learning that context. What is the artist actually talking about? What are they referencing? What symbol set are they using? Sometimes you can get that from reading the accompanying book, but like the little white book that goes with the Waitsmith Smith Tarot, that story isn't in there um, because it wasn't rediscovered until much later. So there's a lot of things like that that come up in, um, you know, any, any symbolic set. And, and divination, there's a lot of debate about, are you um, 
which symbol set are you using? Is it your personal one? Is it the collective one? Is it the one of your client that you're reading for? Because lot, lots of divination is done in pairs. Whether we're talking about for pay or not, pairing and doing divination for someone else, a reader and a querent, has been a very common format through multiple cultures, um, through many, many different um, time periods. You know, there is a seer, there is a diviner, and there is the person inquiring uh, back to the, the oracles of Delphi and so on and so forth. And that's because divination often involves an altered state. Um, and it's, I think many of us who have tried divination know that it's harder to read for yourself usually than it is for someone else. That detachment is there, that removal is there. So, you know, what symbol set you're using, some, it's... Um, sometimes interesting when I read for clients, I always show everybody the cards as part of the deal and they will pick out something that isn't meaningful to me when I'm looking mm. at the cards, but it's very meaningful to them. And so that comes up. Sometimes that's in conflict with what I think the meaning should be. Sometimes it's not. Um, but, you know, I like so many things in magic. Um, there are definitely wrong answers, but I'm not sure there's a singular right answer. Um, I don't find the absolute pure intuition, and I don't even want to call it intuition because it's not that. Um, it's intuition is a skill you have to develop, just like any other skill, like focus and all these skills we have to develop in magic. Um, and what I see people doing that I think is definitely wrong is without having developed the skill of intuition, the skill of meditation, the skill of altered states, and not studying any of the symbolic language, they look at the pictures and they make up a story. And that's it. That is absolutely where you start when you read Tarot. You lay it down, you look at the pictures, and, and you find the story in the pictures. That's the skill building to develop your intuition. And begin the entrainment process that is necessary in any form of divination. Um, but there's more to it than that. You have to build those skills, you have to get feedback, you have to figure out if that intuition is right, because just because you saw it doesn't mean that it's verified. So you have to go through the entrainment process. You have to figure out, are you actually getting the messages? Are you actually learning the symbolic language? And there's a bunch of different ways to do that. So mm. I've rambled all over here now. <laughs> uh, Lady Capera has joined us. Hello. Um, and Solomon Sun is here for a, a sec. Um, Yolandi, Yolandi said, uh, so I should try a different deck. Um, I wouldn't say try a different deck. Although this actually gets a little bit difficult um, because apart from using your intuition and reading the symbolism that you see, um, personal symbolism, and also learning the symbolism of, say, uh, the Rider Waite, because there is specific symbolism within that. Mm -hmm. The difficulty here is that there are so many decks now, and a lot of them have diverted way past the symbolism within Rider Deck. Um, you know, they've just kind of decided to make pretty pictures that don't really tap into that symbolism anymore. Um, so. and, then, and then they become um, like um, using them as 
the random generator. So there are three main types of divination. Uh, omenology, divine, um, divining meaning from random events. Um, sortilage, things like geomancy, uh, I Ching, that sort of thing, where you're going through mathematical processes and part of that is inducing an altered state, that ritual movement of things and understanding the meaning of the numbers as you manipulate them. And then scrying, which is another method to induce an altered state and bring up images that you see either with the uh, mind's eye or um, through physical hallucination. Those are your three main types of divination. Um, and tarot uh, has a um, kind of a an in-between position that I also consider astrology has because there is a set symbolic language in tarot that has been established and it is used to communicate things and you can use that but you can use that um, set of images also in the omenology system the difference is if you do that you got to test all of your language um, the set system you go in knowing that hundreds of years of people um, well a hundred or so in Tarot's case, several thousand in astrology's case, have verified this symbolic language, and this is what it means. And you can just learn to speak the language. But if you want to go the um, the omenology route, then you need to verify that. And perfectly valid. I'm not saying it's not valid, and lots of people do it. And in that case, um, you do want to find a deck that speaks to you. I hear a lot of people talk about that. Um, you know, I have some decks I've bought that I thought were really nice. And then when I started spreading them all out and looking at all the cards, there's some cards in there that I, that make me very uncomfortable or something like that. And that's not the greatest place to start. But then again, you need to know you got a full language, which is more difficult to do by yourself if you don't already know divination somehow. If you don't already have the skills um, there to build your own symbolic divinatory language, which is a good skill to have and very useful. It's, I think it's better to start with an established symbolic language just so you can get a sense of this is how it goes. This is what it is like. And there is entrainment involved in any divination. This is where you keep using the same symbol set for quite some time. You can't just do it this way this time and this way this time and this way this time. It'd be like trying to talk to someone that speaks a different language because that's what we're doing here. We're, we're speaking a symbolic language with our higher selves, the universe, our ancestors, the gods, something, whatever, whatever you think you're speaking to. You need to consistently try to communicate using your same language and their same language so you can find the bridge point. If you change every time, you're not going to make good progress on that, right? Mm -hmm. um, you can make changes, you can make adjustments, but if you change your entire language every time you're trying to communicate with them, you're not going to get reliable communication and you're not going to have a way to test it. That's the really important part of divination is you got to test it a lot to figure out if you're understanding the translation. You know, and this is where um, starting with an established symbol set 
and then testing, and you will make modifications. Everyone makes modifications. I understand this card this way. I understand this card this way. In this deck, this card definitely means this, but in this deck, it means this. That's okay. That's, that's the process it goes through. But that happens because of that entrainment, because of returning again and again with the same thing and testing all those variables and testing all those parameters. Mm. So yeah. you might get a different deck because this one just really may not be too weird for you. Or you might not have a full set of symbols for you in that deck. That's something to consider. Can you say everything? Can you say really bad things and really good things and subtleties in between? And, um, but you might have a deck that you just need to spend some time with also so that you can do that entrainment testing back and forth process. It's one of those things that's, it's hard to make that call. Mm. Can't remember which deck it was. I think it was the Michelangelo or Da Vinci or something. Um, I remember read it one or two of the cards a completely different meaning than what's um shown in the rider weight deck which kind of didn't make any sense to me because it's not just the symbolism that's um kind of passed over it's now the entire meaning of the card completely same yeah. card same like five of swords or whatever it was but completely different I, interpretation you know yeah different authors have different reasons for doing that mm. um one advantage, I think, to going to tarot classes um, or learning from someone who's an established tarot reader is uh, most of us have a lot of decks, right? Um, we tend to acquire many of these. We don't necessarily use them all. But one thing I always do at the beginning of tarot classes is I bring a big basket of all of my tarot decks. And I'm like, look through them. Experience them. Look at all of these images. Try it out for a night. See if you it works. And that gives you the opportunity to try a whole bunch of different symbol sets just to find a good doorway in. And, mm. you know, I will limit it to whatever the class is about. But I know a lot of occult stores, um, especially um, back before online days when I worked in occult stores, we had sample decks for people to look through so that they could decide if they liked it or not. So there's that element involved, and you might really like a deck that does deviate quite a bit from the norm or mm. from the, the established symbol set. And there's nothing wrong with that, but you just need to be aware of what that deviation is and, what, and why, why the author chose that. Usually they'll have something in there that explains, hey, this is what this means, or this was a personal experience or, or whatever. And again, like everything in magic, so you can make an informed choice. Um, let's see, Lady Kapara said, Oracles of Amun-Ra. Um, Solemn Sun, I find discerning movement, time, and particular people difficult. Oh, yeah. Um, so the tarot maps onto uh, the astrological deacons and the sun, and that's how most people determine timing from the tarot, um, just by using the decanates uh, and their uh, position with the sun. And 
using those astrological associations. At least that's true for the Waite-Smith system and for the Thoth system and for the Marseille system. Um, some tarot gets away from those uh, decanic associations and that I wouldn't use those for timing. Uh, when I do uh, tarot divination that requires timing, I set aside either a place in the spread or um, a particular question. After I've done a spread, I will reshuffle and draw a singular card that says, what is the timing for this? And at that point, I do not read the meaning of that card. You know, I only read it as a timing aid. Um, if it comes out with, let's see, the Ten of Swords, that's the end of... Um, and be mutable air. So that's uh, the end of Aquarius. So that's uh, the end of winter. And, but I will not read the Ten of Swords for its meaning of, you know, overthinking and, and too many words and, and being drowned by, by too much communication. So um, that's how I handle timing. Uh, people, I don't like the physical descriptions that go with the court cards in the traditional Waite Smith or Thoth systems. And I really don't like them in the Marseille system. I'll use them. Um, I don't like the astrological associations that go from the court cards to people in Tarot. I don't think they line up very well. So I often use um, the person showing up in your life that is doing XYZ energy that is expressed in the court cards. If it's the page of wands, it's the person that's excited in your life about new projects and new ideas and it is supporting you in that. I don't say that's a young person, um, perhaps feminine with red hair and light skin. Mm -hmm. So that's how I, I do it. But different, different readers are going to do it in different ways. And the only way to figure that out is test. Really. Because you have to, you have to, you know, make the prediction and then you have to see if it comes true. And you have to ask about things that can be verified. Um, and that's another reason reading in pairs or reading in classes is really good because you can have somebody that knows the information that can ask you questions about it. You can do the reading not knowing the information and get immediate feedback about whether or not it's right. It's a great way to do that verification process. It's harder to do on your own because you've got to wait until you find out the information. But um, there's still there's still ways to do it, but you got to test in any divination system. you got to test and course correct, test and course correct constantly. Mm. And journal. Mm. Everybody, journal. Journal, journal. Write it all down. Um, let's see, Schrodinger's Cats uh, said, I have a question about that. How does one separate false information from real information that comes from our intuition? Test. It's a difficult one. And it's also, <laughs> I mean, it's also uh, practice. You know, it's that thing of just keep doing it, just keep doing it, because then you start to figure out what's what and who's who in the zoo type of thing. Yeah, but, uh, yeah. yeah. You got to return again and again and again. Um, mm. And eventually you will learn the feeling that accompanies accurate information versus calculated information, uh, mm. which, you know, isn't necessarily inaccurate. Um, but it's the, as Bernadette Brady says, it's the eagle and the lark. The 
the calculations, the the studied knowledge, the understanding of the symbolic system, the understanding of the history, the knowledge of the references. Um, you know, why are there uh, Phrygian caps used in the Waitsmith symbolism and the different coloring and what does that mean and so on and so forth and why are the lilies and roses arranged the way they are? That's the eagle that can fly much, much higher than the lark and carries the lark on its back so that the lark can sing its song to the gods, but the lark can still fly. That's the intuition on top of it. When you, you know, open in a clear channel, when you allow the synthesis of information and the intuition to come through and, and put all of that together, and you need both. Neither one can accomplish um, communication with the gods by themselves. They go together. They are supportive of one another. And that applies even in pure omenology, in sortilage processes, in scrying processes. Um, there is no form of divination that doesn't have a solid um, body of knowledge supporting it, a um, symbolic system, an understanding of techniques, an understanding of methods, a knowledge of um, safe and unsafe practices. So. I think a lot of people think divination is just, you know, a gift, not a skill. It's just something mm -hmm. you can do or not do. And yeah, some people are gifted naturally, but your skills will vastly improve if you treat them as skills and work them. Um, the general saying is a thousand hours or a thousand readings before you begin to, um, well, call yourself a beginner or a reader. You need to you need to test things again and again. You need to practice. I also think that we we all have the skill or the gift, um, but I think some people are just more aware of it than others are. I mean, quite often I don't listen to myself because I just don't listen to myself. Um, I know something's going to happen, or I know something's going to go a particular way, but I just don't listen to myself. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, you have to learn to trust your gut and not just while divining. Mm. And, and listen to yourself, as you said, um, because it's it's validation. The friend that gives you advice that you never take, are they going to keep giving you advice? Mm. Eventually, no. And the friend that gives you advice that you do take and then you give feedback to, you get better and better advice right? You're, you're working together to um, improve that communication to get better clarity. So if you don't listen to yourself, if you don't take those actions, you wear away at the validation of your own intuition. Mm -hmm. And the, the lower you push that, the harder it is to build it back up. And that's, difficult to do in this day and age, especially when you do weird stuff and you need to explain to people why you're doing weird stuff. Because a lot mm. of people, you know, um, hey, it's my intuition or I'm trusting my gut or, or I have a feeling. But just listen to all of the anecdotal evidence of all of the people that had a feeling that saved their lives. You know, so I agree. Mm. I think everybody has intuition. I think it's a human thing to have intuition, but um, do we build it 
do we refine it? Do we, you know, build that underlying structure that allows it to soar as high as it possibly can? Not everybody does that. Mm. Um, so look, uh, Sappho said good point. I'm not sure that what that was in reference to you now. Uh, hello, doggy. Um, Lady Capera <laughs> <laughs> said the Hermetic Tarot is the deck that communicates best with me and vice versa. Oh, good. Um, Pamela said I use the Wildwood Tarot um, and I find it kind of stays in line with traditional tarot meanings. I started with Rider Waite Smith when I was learning them. Yeah, Wildwood is a, a Waite Smith format and mm. sticks pretty closely to that. I do like the imagery in the Wildwood Tarot. Um, mm. I still use uh, the Waite Smith Tarot almost all the time, it's, and it's because that's what I teach all the time. So I'm extremely familiar with the symbol set in there, and I've, I've used it for so many years. It's the language I reliably speak. Mm. Well, I think of the of the three main ones you spoke of, the right away, the um, uh, Crowley, um, Thostek, and the Marseille. I think the right away is probably the one that most beginners should go for because it's the most widely recognised and the most widely spoken of. Yeah, uh, it's it's what I return to again and again, what I teach again and again, and there's so many rider weight clones out there mm. that you can find one, you know, because I don't, I don't really like the super bright yellows and all the white people and, and that sort of stuff in the deck. So if that bothers you too, you can get a Waitsmith clone and, and still study that symbol system very closely with uh, more appealing imagery. However, I don't know that it's necessarily the best because if you're a Thelemite or you're working within Crowley's system or you're doing ceremonial mm -hmm. magic, that works better. You want to go with sauce. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And really, long term, study them all. You'll, whatever one you use, whatever system you, you end up practicing with, you'll learn more when you mm -hmm. compare and contrast. Um, but to start with, yeah, probably get a Waitsmith Smith clone at least. Um, the Marseille is great fun, but it doesn't have illustrated pips. And that's what made the um, Waitsmith so popular as a form of divination was illustrated minor arcana or pip cards and was kind of the move away from cardivancy into tarot. So if you want the imagery, Marseille is not a great place to start. There are um meanings and tips and tricks and of course cartomancy is reading regular modern playing cards is a different thing because there's different meanings you can't just take mm -hmm. a five of swords and associate it with a, a five of spades so um but Although, yeah. yeah i mean I, I know i've seen a lot of people do that is relate the playing cards with the tarot and i think i've even seen a deck of um, tarot, which has the related um, playing card with it. Yeah. Which I find quite yeah. weird. Well, at, tarot was originally a game, like bridge mm. or, or gin rummy or anything like that. I love playing it. We've made several physical decks that are much smaller and easier to hold um, that are basically 
you know, just pip cards because all you're doing is looking at the corner when you're holding your, your hand. But it's a trick-taking game, uh, like spades or hearts. And uh, it's fun to play and to divine when you're playing games like that. So, mm. yeah, yeah, you know, they're, they're, the history of playing cards and card games and then divination with cards is, is very fascinating. If you're going to get into tarot and end up reading, I highly suggest it's one of those things you look into and learn about along the way. Yeah. Uh, Lady Capra said, I love that Rev Kai um, and Invocation of the Composite Spirit of the Tarot. There's a lot of um, rituals that go along with reading Tarot, um, doing the invocations, doing the opening of the key, all of those sorts of things. Um, just like the rituals that go along with um, other sort of forms of divination, such as the I Ching or uh, the casting of bones or, or geomancy. Uh, and there's a reason for those. They are magically active rituals. They are really doing something um, in addition to moving you into a repeated trance state that where you can more easily accomplish divination. Mm. Um, Deborah is here. Hello, Deborah. Hello. And Solomson asked, uh, also regarding channeled tarot readings, is there really a difference in what happens when doing a spread normally versus a, versus a channeled spread? Would the message really vary whether you channeled or not? And Solomson said, said, thank you both. Okay. I don't know. I don't channel. I don't know why someone would channel a tarot reading. I don't know what the difference is between normally and channeled. Um, I think what you might find is I've, I've actually seen this um, with somebody who was actually using Spirit Board. Um, they they used the Spirit Board as a tool for the channeling. Um, it was just like a I think it acted as a switch. Um, so they would have the Spirit Board in the lap with the planchette, and nothing would move, but they would see the planchette move to the different letters. And I think people might use um, tarot, just you know, spreading it out, using it as a as a tool in order to connect to some kind of channeled source. I'm not sure. Okay, well, that's what I was talking about earlier with the um, using it as omenology. Mm -hmm. You just look at the pictures and create a story. Um, mm -hmm. But I use my tarot to communicate with spirits just like I use my pendulum to communicate with spirits um, or divinity um, uh, and the bones. Uh, I cast the bones to communicate with spirits regularly. Um, I don't like um, astrology or um, brain eaching for those or geomancy for those things because the calculation process moves out of that communicate with spirit state for me. Um, but channeling, I consider as you move aside and let something else take over your body to do stuff. So that mm -hmm. produce things like automatic writing or automatic speaking. Yeah, I think things like clear cognizance um, can sometimes get confused with channeling. Um, I think people see it as kind of channeling messages. 
because you're just kind of knowing. Um, yeah. But it's not 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 channeling, no. I don't think so. Mm -hmm. I, I don't know. I don't know why a spirit would want to take over my body just to read tarot cards. Mm -mm. <laughs> I want to do some other things. But, you know, each their own. And terms, you know, again and again we come back to it. a lot of these terms have developed different meanings and different nuance and specific meanings inside specific traditions. Mm. So it might yeah. be one thing over here and a different thing over here in a different tradition. And words take on different meanings through ages as well. Oh, so yeah. we found what we, what we understood as something people can interpret completely differently nowadays. Yeah, language changes and, and evolves. And, you know, each mm -hmm. new, um, well, I was going to say generation, but it's shorter than that. It takes about five years for words to move and change meaning. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> We're the old fuddy-duddies that are still speaking 1970s, 1980s occult language. This <laughs> is what we learned. <laughs> um, Lady Capera said catalysts, spirit boards, etc. I suppose we should add spirit boards to the, to the list as well. Well, what's the difference between that and a pendulum? Well, we can put them both together then. Okay. Um, there's also table tapping, which yeah. would fit in, well, um, considering the time they're both, both around, table tapping and spirit board would go together. Yeah, okay, well, I'll put it on its own line. Mm. I'm sure some bits and pieces will come up um, oh, yeah. in different, different ones. Um, do you understand French? Mm. Not real well. Okay, because uni, um, I don't understand French. I don't know if you can um, just give us that in English, otherwise I'll go to the translator. Yeah, plug it into a translator these days. I know bonjour, and I know... Merci, and I know Cartes, and I'm sure you're cringing at my horrible French pronunciation there. That was totally Midwestern. I'm very sorry. <laughs> I took one year of French want, when I was in sixth want, grade. Do you want it in some, in some broad English, do you? <laughs> yeah, sorry. Not that great at it. Yeah. You should hear a proper Englishman speaking Afrikaans. It's hysterical. <laughs> <laughs> okay, until we get to that, I'll just uh, go with Yolandi's question here. Um, oh, here we go. Yolandi gave us a translation. Good morning. Are there more and more card shooters on YouTube? Thank you. Oh, yeah, card slingers. I think there's a lot, a lot of people on YouTube um, that are. Um, reading cards, and I was actually just mentioning to Lee this morning, I was thinking about going back to doing that. Uh, I used to do live readings, gallery readings. Uh, I was uh, doing them through Facebook and YouTube uh, for a couple of years there, and then towards the beginning of the pandemic, and then I got sick and kind of stopped that for a while and had, you know, 
Uh, that was the beginning of really when video conferencing was taking off because of the pandemic. So I had a lot of problems with spammers and bots and technology. But with this uh, Mercury retrograde from a couple days ago, I, I really been thinking about going back to doing readings. Mm. But I see a lot of people doing readings. And of course, I have personal opinions about how that's effective and how that's not. And mm. um, I'm sure the people that I disagree with obviously have different opinions or they wouldn't be doing what they're doing, right? <laughs> no. No. Uh, Lady Capera has to run. Bye-bye. See you next time. Um, and Yolandi said, uh, what is your opinion on the cheaper decks available that doesn't come with booklets? Uh, we spoke about this before show a while back now. Yeah. Um, the rip-off wish cards and that sort of thing. Yeah, I don't like them unless it's something like the right the right away Smith because that one uh, is now in public domain. Um, but I don't like them purely for the reason that they are taking money out of people's pockets. Mm. You should be getting them. It's a shit ton of work to create a tarot deck. Um, I, I've been working on mine for over fifteen years, and no, I mean it's a lot of work thousands of hours. First, you got to be a competent card reader. Then you have to develop an artistic skill and be able to communicate something that nobody else has communicated yet about something as big as Tarot and all of the work that goes into that. And then they just rip it off with cheap images and reprint it. And it, it's horrible. It's predatory capitalism. And it destroys these artists uh, that are putting their true soul you know, into connecting with the currents and helping people divine and so on and so forth. And yeah, it's expensive. I can understand why those decks are $100, $180 a piece. There are 78 works of art. And many of the people that are doing these are actually doing, you know, true uh, rituals to actually work through and come up with a, a coherent symbol set and community and so, so on and so forth. And so, yeah, it's a, a lot of money. Uh, but it's worth saving up for to pay respect to the art, to um, the sacredness of the process of divination and the process of being an oracle. All of those sorts of things I think are, are holy and I really not cool with the, the ripoff decks. And when they first came out, I totally got taken by them because I didn't realize what was happening. And I mm. think a lot of people didn't when they first saw them that the artist is not getting paid for these nobody's getting paid for these who was involved with creating it it's just being ripped off through the process of of being able to digitally steal the images or mm. they buy one tarot deck and make copies of it so i don't want to participate in that energy and if that means i gotta you know wait nine months to a year to save up my pennies to get a deck that i want then okay that's what I do. Mm. I mean, I did get into an argument with um, somebody a while back about this, and all of the shop owners were basically saying, yeah, but we, we're providing a service. We're providing a, a cheaper deck for people who can't afford the, the expensive decks. Um, well, that's, you know, that's not acceptable, first of all. But secondly, if you want to do that, then, as I said, there's the Rider Waite deck, which is in public domain. You can download it, you can print it, you can make your own cards. Mm -hmm. So 
if somebody wants to come along and just buy a cheap deck because they just want to try it out and see if it's for them or whatever the reason being, then sell the Rider Waite deck. Don't sell all the others that are ripoffs of people who are trying to earn a living. Um, well, and this goes to the really weird entitlement I see in the pagan community that because it's pagan, because it's spiritual, it should be available at whatever yeah. price point they think it should be available as. And yeah. that's not the way the world works. Um, you know, um, and yeah, you can download Rider Way images. And really, my suggestion is if you do not want to buy a tarot deck and you want to download and make your own, that's a great way to become very familiar with the tarot. There are um, line art versions of three or four different tarot decks that are designed to be colored in. Um, the Boda Tarot, the builders of the um, something, Adidium, what's the D stand for? Maybe it's the T, B-O-T-A, builders of the Adidium. Uh, their tarot deck is specifically designed to be colored in through a learning process of learning about the tarot and the symbolism and the colors and everything else. And it's a great way to learn, an absolutely great way to learn. And if you print it on some heavy-duty cardstock after you're done, um, you can glue backs to them and end up with a working tarot deck. I do have mm -hmm. a deck that I, I made that way over the years. So, you know, there are ways to do things. Um, but a, a Waitsmith deck uh, through Llewellyn is less than $20. Mm -hmm. Really. Um, and, and there are, are cheaper versions than that. And, you know, th this returns to my thing of talking about cultural appropriation and um, where you source your materials. What energy do you want to participate in and support? You're a magician. You know, do you want to participate and support the um, people that are ripping off artists to sell these cheap things and just stealing their work? Or do you want to participate in something else like the builders of the Adidium who really give of their work to encourage everyone? I mean, they created this deck. It's a Waitsmith clone. There's some different things, but they have a whole work pocket workbook and they give it away. They do not charge for it. They want people to have it for free. So, you know, think about those things when you go to acquire your magical tools because you're going to spend some time with them. You're going to become enmeshed with them. And no matter how much you cleanse and, and how many incense baths or salt water sprinklers or whatever you do, you're still participating in that energy. Mm -hmm. That'll never go away. Mm -hmm. All right, we've got a couple of questions from uh, Katz and Sappho. Shall we take a quick break and top up coffee? I'm going to get some hot chocolate now. Um, and we'll come back with those questions. All right, sounds good. All right, so don't go anywhere. We'll be back in a minute or five. Welcome back to Into the Wildwood, and today we're talking about tarot in our divination series. All right, so uh, Schrodinger's Cats asked, um, why do you think tarot is more popular than other decks for cartomancy? 
and also added, uh, I mean, the original decks, major and minor. I think tarot as a divination system became popular because um, writer publishing was very successful in their campaign with the Waitsmith Tarot. Right time, right place. And um, I, I really think that's most of what there is to do with it. Um, just generally, there's more mysticism, there's more aesthetic looking at a tarot deck than a playing card deck. But I know a lot of people who are, are cardomancers who read playing cards. Um, it's what, you know, many of my teachers, um, craft teachers, read instead of tarot when I was coming up. So, uh, more popular online? Absolutely. More popular in people that are doing the work and serving people and doing readings? And I don't know that I would mm. say that in my experience. But online, there is an aesthetic quality associated with all online content that you cannot deny. Um, Instagram is built on aesthetics. I think TikTok is too, quite a bit. They're visual platforms. And tarot looks prettier. Mm. Plus, you know, thousands of decks. Millions of decks at this point, maybe even. It's like a picture book. Yeah. Do you, do you have experience with that? More tarot readers versus cartomancy? Or... Are you asking me or cats? Me. Um, no, it's definitely more tarot readers. I actually, um, I mean, I'm, I'm not great at, at reading tarot or cards or anything. Um, so quite often I need to refer back to the interpretation in the books. But what I actually like to do is um, set out the tarot um, and then support it with um, a playing card deck. So each playing card relates to the tarot and kind of, it's it's quite interesting how how well they relate and also you know I'll get an interpretation from the tarot and then the playing card will kind of say something slightly different but it gives me a different interpretation of what's going on with the entire uh, spread um, so it gets quite interesting yeah you know. I like I like mixing my divination systems quite frequently you know mm. using using them to verify and each one they talk differently. Um, they have a different way of addressing things, different mm. concerns, too. Yeah. Uh, so, look, Sefo asked, what's a great book to read to study tarot? I would only do readings for myself, but often the messages the deck gives are the same messages that come up in meditation. Is that possible? Absolutely. Two questions there. Um, the you know, getting the same messages in your meditation as you do in your divination means good. You're mm. you're getting the message. Your divination is working. That's a, a great sign. Yeah. Um, mm. And uh, let's see. I highly recommend 78 Degrees of Wisdom by Rachel Pollock. Anything Rachel Pollock wrote is amazing, but 78 Degrees of Wisdom, I think, is the cornerstone. Holistic Tarot by Benabel Wynn is really, really good. It's huge. It's a hell of a tome, but it's really good. Um, and uh, Dusty White, I think it's just called Tarot Secrets or um, Advanced Tarot Secrets, something like that. But any books by Dusty White, he's a, a wonderful tarot reader. 
and um, I think very practical and concise at communicating how to use the tarot for divination. So, um, but yeah, I'd recommend any of those. No, those advanced tarot secrets is one of That's, his books. That must be it. Mm -hmm. uh, sorry, I'm just gonna get all the right stuff here. There we go. Gonna come back. Um, all right, so we're good with that one. We answered that one. Uh, okay, let's go on to you, Landy. Um, the decks I own are Rider Waite, Archangel Tarot, Shadow Sayer Tarot, a gift. Um, well, that's something we should talk about the gifts. Um, and Elemental Oracle. I haven't used the Oracle and Archangel decks yet. Sorry, Shadowscapes Tarot. Yeah. Cool. I haven't heard of Shadowscapes Tarot. I'll have to look that one up. Then I'll have to buy another tarot deck, probably. It's got some nice imagery on it. People are always like, oh, I like this tarot deck. And I'm like, do I really want to look at it? Because then I'm probably going to have to add it to the list of things I want to buy. <laughs> oh, okay. I, oh, I Googled it. I recognize that one. I have seen seen the Shadowscapes tarot. Very watercolory kind mm. of images. Yeah. That's a pretty deck, but I, I can say that about thousands of decks. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's part of the problem. You end up being a tarot collector just as much as a tarot reader, but there's nothing wrong. Mm -hmm. well, that's problem. the love you have for the for the uh, system, so, you know. Yeah, I guess it's just a problem with my bank account. That's the yeah. problem. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, the whole idea of, I mean, I think this is an old adage, but um, you should never buy a tarot deck. It should always be gifted, uh, was a thing at one stage. And I've, I've, I've seen it recently. It's not something that's gone away. Oh, it hasn't gone away? That's weird. No. no. Um, I think somebody uh, may like read an older book and kind of hook onto that and go, oh, you're not allowed to buy your own deck and then start passing it around on social media and then start, more people pick it up. I mean, I've, I've picked that up with uh, reading Paul Husson's book again. Uh, some of the things in there uh, are like the old things that we used to believe and people eventually went, no, that's bullshit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you know... Um... Arcane rules and taboos are very popular in the occult. Mm -hmm. They make things seem more mystical. Uh, and taboos are part of every religious practice. And so when we encounter taboos like that, it automatically triggers in us the feeling that it's more important, that it's mystical, that it's spiritual. And by following that, those taboos, we can, we can be more spiritual. We can be in better alignment, whatever it is. And, mm -hmm. you know... There's power in that, but the one I really hated was in the 90s when everybody thought you needed to steal your tarot deck instead of buying that. it. Oh, I hated mm. that. But that's why, you know, tarot decks are kept behind the glass in a lot of occult shops. That was a big thing in the 90s, and it had to do with all the racist bullshit about Romani people. And I, I've heard people say that tarot is a closed practice for the Romani people. It's not. Um, mm. you know, uh, they didn't invent tarot. Uh, yes, there is an association with um, travelers and Romani people and fortune telling, but that's just because they're very, very oppressed in most places and constantly kicked out of their homes and 
you know, constantly unemployed because they don't have stable housing and all those things. So that goes together. But Tarot is not a closed practice. Anybody can read Tarot. Um, don't go using the G word and, and being a racist asshat. But, um, you know, all of, all of those things. If you want to buy a tarot deck, buy a tarot deck. Support artists. Support local occult shops. Um, they're not going to stay around if they can't pay their bills. Mm. Yeah. Actually, one of, one of the things out of the Paul Husson book, which may apply here as well, is um, when you go to buy your tools, um, don't haggle. Um, you know, don't try and bring the price down or anything like that. Pay the price that is on the on the tool that's advertised on the tool. And that was a that was an old one which I haven't heard in a long time. I haven't heard that in a long time either. But it is something I've always kept to, mainly mm. because I'm buying tools from the people that made them, and it's insulting mm. to try to haggle it down. They're probably already underselling and undercutting themselves because I know how artists work. You know, and and custom made stuff and magical tools are not cheap to produce. So, don't don't try to talk them down when you're buying directly from the artist or a fellow craftsperson. I, you mm. know, so I've always followed that. Um, same thing for you know, um, little occult shops. There aren't occult shop chains like Walmart. They are little mom and pop shops that are small businesses that are not making a living. Mm. They're not. They're struggling to get by always. So, you know, trying to to get a cheaper price there again, I don't think it's um, a good idea. Again, do you want to participate in that energy? No. And that's going to be the start of your relationship with this tool um, or this tarot deck or whatever it is. And that foundation stone will be in there. And you need to think about what kind of foundation stones you want in your relationships with your tools. Mm. So. Yeah, because I think the cult shops probably uh, their largest sellers are books and tarot cards, um, oh, yeah. rather than ritual tools. And the markup on those things is so small. Oh um, yeah, they're not going to make much money at the end of the day. Well, and a lot of um, you know tarot decks. Um, when we would sell a twenty dollar tarot deck the amount that the store would actually receive in profit was usually less than a dollar mm. by the time shipping and everything was factored in. So, mm. yeah, yeah. Yeah. All right. We've got no more questions. Now what do we do? <laughs> <laughs> We're all out of questions. Tarot also isn't just used for divination. A lot of people use tarot for path working, mm. um, for meditation focus. Um, and, and then we get into the, you know, sticky things of uh, like pulling a daily tarot card. Uh, I know a lot of times people will pull a daily tarot card as a focus for meditation that day. Or just, you know, oh, today I pulled the two of wands teach me about what the two of wands is today not in a um foretelling what will happen kind of nothing but in a connecting with these energies and learning the symbol system mm. so there's there's other things to do with tarot i used to joke that you know if the universe is a computer tarot is my screen 
and uh, runes and, and find runes are my keyboard. So, you know, that I can see. But uh, it goes the other way. Uh, tarot, once you speak this the language, um, you can do spell work with them. You just lay out the, the tarot uh, the way that you want it to come out and then work that as your your visualization, your foundation for what will come about. Um, there's a whole book called Tarot Spells from back in the day that, that really capitalizes on that and shows, hey, do you want to bring in money long-term or short-term or protect your house or whatever? Here's how you would lay that out with a tarot deck and here's candle colors and that sort of thing to walk you through that process so that then you can begin, um, you know, building upon that. But divination tools don't have to be just one way and the tarot is a really good example of that that it mm -hmm. flows both ways because it is a, a symbolic language system you're learning and once you learn to hear it and understand it eventually you can learn to speak it um, not with my terrible french pronunciation but that kind of thing <laughs> and yolandi said and in a certain movie for exorcism do you remember that yes Velocity pasta. Mm. Oh, that, that was, was insane. That was absolutely insane. <laughs> <laughs> oh, We're going to start now. You need a few minutes. <laughs> Compose yourself after thinking about the Velocity pasta. Um, but now I remember us doing the review and we were <laughs> doing that terrible thing. Okay, I'm, I'm, I'm composed. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, actually, coming back to the path working uh, thing, I, I've always found that interesting. And it's something I, I haven't done myself, and I don't know why. Um, I keep thinking about it, and then it just kind of didn't passes we, on by. Didn't we do it in that cabin back in the day? As part Not of the, the, the Tree of Life stuff we were doing? Not that I remember. No. That was okay. a long time ago. That was a long time ago. Okay. Long time ago, yeah. Um, but it, it, I've also found that, you know, specifically um, in reference to the Golden Dawn and how they use it as a doorway, um, and actually stepping through the doorway, which is the, the tarot, and then venturing into the scene itself, you know, walking down the path, um, whatever is represented in the tarot, you know. I, I've I always found that an interesting thing and something I need to do, but... It's, it's a great exercise and a good way to learn about the cards and mm -hmm. the symbol systems. Um, and I can't remember the name of the deck now, but it has basically the same as the Waitsmith imagery, but in the one of the four corners of each card is the corresponding Sephira. Uh, so you can lay out the tree of life with the tarot, the physical cards, mm. and put them all together like a puzzle. And you see the paths and the Sephiroth emerge out of the deck, which is really interesting. It's a, it's a really fun deck. I wish I could remember what it was called. It might be Hermetic Golden Dawn or Tarot of the Golden Dawn or something like that. 
Mm. Yeah. It's over there in the, the great storage of tarot decks. I guess I should have got some of those out beforehand. But. <laughs> it's in the house next door. Yeah. yeah. Actually, I have a, an old antique um, card catalog from a library. And that's what all my tarot decks are in. Because mm. they're most of them are, are card size, and so they fit in there in those drawers. And then I have some bigger ones up on top, but yeah. Mm. <laughs> it's a card catalog. <laughs> <laughs> All right, what's next? Well, um, since we don't have any questions, I'll share my tarot journals because. Uh, it's really helpful. So this is my meaning tarot book. It's just a sketchbook. And this is where I take notes about what the cards mean, um, you know, uh, what I've come to understand of the symbols. I've got lots of diagrams and things that help me study the meanings. Um, this is my, my timing cheat sheet that has everything mapped out so I know what is what and what decanate and all of that kind of stuff and planetary tables of hours. Um, I have a I have a book that is falling out of my hand because it's hard to hold up in the air. Uh, I have a symbol reference key in the back that I built. So like every card that has ice on it. I've listed out every card that has mountains on it, every card that has lilies, every card that has roses, so on and so forth. And I built one of these books for each um, system. You know, I have maps for the court cards and all these images are obviously from the writer, writer Smith that I just printed out tiny little images and cut out and glued into my book and keep all of my notes. So I, I recommend Something like that, if you're a scrapbook, um, you know, journal type person, working through that has been a great way for me to learn about the tarot and figure out, you know, what it means to me and what the symbols are and um, the backgrounds and all of that stuff and keep track of it. And then, um, let me find a, a tarot reading that is okay to be on camera. Because this is my personal um, details of readings. Okay, um, this one is okay. This was when I was um, first starting my podcast. And so I did a tarot reading about, you know, what is what can I do with this? How can I improve with this? I wanted to do daily tarot draws and um, related to that. And so, but over here, here's my date and time. And then my question with any details, this is my spread. It's just five by three. And I wrote down what the cards were and I kind of mapped out the meanings on the sides. Um, my lists of how many of each suit there were. Um, my underlying card, which is the back of the deck that I keep track of. And then over here is my notes about interpretation. And again, I've got my, my spread map that I've written out and that sort of thing. And this is my record that I can go back to later and be like, did it work out? Was it right? 
Um, obviously, I didn't make notes on this one, but many of them, I do go back and just use a different color pen and make notes about what worked and what didn't and um, that sort of thing. And when I was first doing readings for other people, I also kept all of those readings in here because I was doing readings in exchange for tell me if it works. That was the deal. I'll do a reading for you, but you got to come back and provide feedback because I need to improve. So, um, of course, a lot of these are not mine to share, which is why I'm not putting them up on the screen. But I highly suggest you find a, a way to keep notes, um, to track things, um, to, you know, refer back to it. This is the... This is the, the method for that. Wow, everything in here is uh, other people's stuff. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I have several of these books that I filled over the years with, um, with these readings and my interpretations and then my notes on them. Yeah, I'm not finding anything that isn't somebody else's. Somebody else's divination. Because this was that time. But keep a notebook, keep a journal, somehow keep track of that. And then I also have um, a tarot spreads notebook. And this is just where I just write out the spread. There's no interpretation in here. But you know how many tarot spreads there are in the world? This is a spread for love, and this is a spread for this, and so on and so forth. And what this eventually taught me, writing out and copying out other people's spreads, and what they mean and how they're structured and how they're accomplished. Some of them are really short. Some of them are full pages. But eventually I came up with my own spreads that I like to refer to again and again and again. And my understanding of how the cards work and how I put them together. And um, mine is influenced by uh, Lenormand type of uh, card reading and cartomancy card reading because i did that before i did tarot but like you know i have some full spell divinations that are these big huge operations and i have these notes to refer back to when i'm doing a spread and sometimes in my journal where i am recording the reading itself i will just be like i'm using the spread on page whatever and then i don't have to write out all the meanings to remember it i can just reference it back and forth and I do have some where I just printed it off and pasted it in. And I never did use those very well because um, it's not a commitment of writing it down and understanding it. So that's another way to, to work through um, a component of the tarot and card reading and work through those spreads and eventually end up with your own method. Because that's kind of the goal is you eventually want to end up with your own method and your own understanding of the cards, your own understanding of how they work and what works best for you. So those, those journals are how I accomplish that for myself. And for anybody listening on the podcast, might want to pop over to the YouTube channel if you want to have a look at what that looked like. Um, uh, Yolandi said, uh, there is one deck I am looking for. It's black card with right away printed holographic. I've seen those. They are very nice. Yeah, I've seen those. They're very mm. nice. I do like. Although, 
I like to look at all the shiny holographic foiled cards, but I can't read with them because I get too distracted by the shiny. <laughs> I was just thinking that. So. And, and I'm always just like, mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> watching it change. Not reading just, the cards. Not can just imagine you're in front of a client and they're waiting for you to read the card and you're like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> takes me takes me completely out of the altered state. Yeah, I, but I also I have plenty of tarot decks that I've acquired just because I really like the artwork, and then I find out I can't read with these. You know, um, I just it doesn't accomplish the goal, or um, I spread out all of the cards, and I go looking for how do I say whatever you know, this, this, and this, um, this won't go well. You need to not talk so much. This will go well. You need to do this or, you know, the advice I expect the tarot to be telling me, I always spread out the deck and look for, how do you say that? And sometimes I can't find it. And if I can't find like more than half of what I want the deck to say, usually it just becomes a pretty art deck for me because I'm not getting it. Um, now, that's not to say it's just a one-session thing that I go looking for that. I can't find it. Toss it. I do read the artist's work. I read the accompanying books. You know, I put some work into it. But not every deck works for every person. And that's fine. Um, mm. I, I take that perspective as someone who has learned tarot and divination for many years. And now that's how I review decks to see if they will work for me. Mm. Um, I think two things that uh, come to mind, which probably don't get spoken about that often, is firstly the ritual when you start tarot reading. Some people have a specific ritual. And the other thing is storing your tarot afterwards. Because mm. uh, I know you have a, sp a very specific box that yeah. kind of cleanses the, the cards each time you put it in. Yeah, this is my, my tarot box. And it's just one of those um, book boxes uh, that lets you um, store stuff inside that I picked up at some craft store. And then I keep inside of it um, some salt. Do this without tipping it out. Some crystals. And that red thing in there is a magnet. And uh, these three things I keep in the bags with my bones. I keep um, when I... I have tarot decks that are stored in bags. This is my everyday reading deck that I grab for clients and do tarot readings with. I've also written all over because I write on my cards. Um, but that's how I store it because you get a little uh, piezoelectric charge and some salt. And every time I put them in the box, it cleanses the cards. So that between every client, between every reading, I put them back in the box. And that's how I've um, handled that being a tarot reader over the years, especially when I do fairs and I'm just going to be reading client after client, one after another. I found that I needed something that cleansed and reset my deck for me in between because it, when I do it personally, I put all of the cards back in their original order, zero through 21 in the trumps and ace through king in each of the minor suits and then put them back together and i cleanse each card off i you know take the energy wipe it off cleanse it that sort of thing and i do that uh, i don't know every 20 30 readings ish 
I can tell it gets gunky mm. <laughs> and it needs cleansed. But especially between readings, I like having a box. Um, I do store other stuff in pouches. And again, I keep a magnet and some quartz crystals and some salt in there. Um, every once in a while, I do get salt between my cards. And it has scratched up the surface on those cards. Those, those are my everyday reading cards that I use again and again. They're kind of beat up. I kind of like that. Um, but if you don't want salt scratching up your cards, put in a little baggie. Uh, little organza baggies are very popular. Um, what was the other part? Oh, the ritual before reading. Yeah, and shuffling as well. I've, I've, I've seen a lot of people, beginners, who are just starting tarot, um, you know, asking the question, how do I shuffle? Um, and some people will sort of knock their cards three times. Um, other people won't. They'll do there's all those personal little rituals that come along um, that yeah. we create. Yeah, everybody has a different way of doing it. Um, mm. I like sometimes washing the cards, which means putting them all on the table and moving them around with your hands. Uh, I enjoy that because I get to do the infinity motion over them <laughs> and connect to that understanding of the limnus gate that is an important symbol in the tarot and an important symbol in, in how the trumps are organized. Um, I bridge shuffle. Uh, that's just because it's what I'm comfortable with. That's where you you know push the cards together and then bridge them up. Some people don't mm. like doing that to their cards because it bends them. Um, some people well, do it properly. Shuffle like this. Uh, mm. uh, some people select cards out of the deck in different ways. Also, mm. I shuffle, bridge shuffle. I wait till I feel the ding. I always describe it as like, you know, when the microwave dings to tell you the food is done, I shuffle until I get an internal ding in the back of my head that tells me the shuffling is done. Um, and when I'm with a client, while I'm shuffling, I have them telling me their question. And getting a good question is so important. I'm usually working mm. through refining the question and determining a good question while I'm shuffling with the client. But when I work for myself, I refine and determine that question before I pick up my cards because I can't, I don't know. I want it written down for my records. And while I'm shuffling, I'm entering an altered state. Mm. It's part of that meditative moving through. And I think that's why I'm listening for that ding to, and, and I, I'm describing it that way. I really do actually like hear a kind of bell noise in my astral audio senses. Mm. And I've heard it's very synonymous with, with various divination techniques, actually. Yeah. Trumpet or, or a bell. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's a, it's a clear tone mm. that comes through that has resonance trumpet. I've heard described too. And I have heard, the, the trumpet horns and stuff in doing divination. That's mm. what I do. Some people uh, spread out the tarot deck in the big fan. Uh, here I am doing it on the surface. We can't see my hand like a big U. And then um, hold their hands over and select the cards that feel something. Um, I had a tarot teacher that that was her preferred way to do it. She would shuffle. She would wash them on the table, put them all back in a deck, cut them once, and then spread them out flat. And then she would say, 
um, to her guides, tap me on the back of the hand when I'm over the cards you want. Mm. And that's the way she felt that. So she would feel taps and um, feedback on her hand. Some people describe getting a sensation of heat or tingling, uh, selecting those cards. I know some people, especially um, this shuffling method, you know, where yeah. you're, I should just get out cards and do this <laughs> rather than, than miming without a deck, right? <laughs> but um, this where you just drop more cards in mm. front, um, people will do that and wait for cards to jump out. Yeah, um, yeah. And that's how they select the cards for the reading. Um, mm. And then there is cutting the cards, um, especially from the open, opening of the key, which is when I learned the Thothro, I did the opening of the key every solstice and equinox, <laughs> which like it's like a four hour, five hour ritual. It's a lot. <laughs> <laughs> But I was well, really ceremonial magic, so yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was really trying to learn the deck, and in that case, you're um, subdividing, cutting piles of cards, and reading the entire pile. Not half a deck is usually a fourth or something like that for things, mm -hmm. and so that's a process too. And it reminds me very much of the process of the I Ching, where you're counting the sticks and moving them through, and counting and, and bundling, and so. You know, there's all these different methods. Again, I recommend you start with a singular method and practice it until it works. Um, start with a singular proven method, one of those, or, or whatever your teacher or the book you're following recommends, uh, because it'll take some time to get used to it. Uh, when I first started reading Tarot, of course, I didn't have that. You know, I had to develop that over time. But once you get one method down, you'll get the feeling of it, just like you get the feeling of knowing when to trust your gut. Mm. You get this um, physical, intuitive feeling, oh, this is ready. Oh, this is the right card. Oh, um, it's time to stop shuffling. Whatever it is, you'll get that. And then as you learn other methods, you can apply that. And you'll come to find preferences uh, and dislikes. Um, when I'm working a, a fair, a psychic fair, and I'm reading all day, you know, client after client, I switch it up. I do different methods in between to shuffle the cards uh, because sometimes it, it feels like I need something different. I need a different mm. way to mix the cards around and move them. No. Um, Yolandi asked, when buying a secondhand deck, what process do you use to make sure the previous owner's energy is cleared? I like um, fire, uh, earth, air, and water uh, to cleanse any new magical tools. But it also depends on who I'm buying the deck from. I have decks from some of my previous teachers that I really appreciate their energy being all over it. So I don't want to cleanse that off. Um, but the uh, cleansing by the elements is the same thing that's done in a lot of ceremonial magic or uh, Wiccan circles. You mix salt and water and you sprinkle that. In that case, I lay out all the cards on the floor because it's the only place it fits. And I do lay down a sheet because I have a dog, so there's always dog hair on my floor, <laughs> no matter how much I vacuum. But I lay out all the cards. I lay them in um, an order that I call the key. It's the three lines of seven for the trumps and then the uh, minor arcana 
in the uh, arrangement of elements around the outside, ace through king, and then the fool at the top. I lay out this format, and then I sprinkle them with the salt water and say the appropriate cleansing, so on and so forth, and push the appropriate energy through them. And then I um, cleanse them with incense. In that case, I pick up each card in order. I state that the card will be cleansed. I move it through the incense. I turn it upside down in order. And I go through all 78 cards until they're all done. Then I take that whole deck and do my uh, vibration stuff where everybody comes up to the higher vibration and all the dross drops off. That's my basic cleansing thing. That's what I do whenever I'm grabbing the cards like this in the middle of a reading, trying to get all the junk out. <laughs> I just kind of hold them right here and vibrate, vibrate higher. Uh, like I would cleanse me, like I would cleanse a house, like I would cleanse anything. And um, mm -hmm. But that's what I do when I get a new deck. And then immediately immediately all part of the same ritual i do a um big spread where i shuffle all of the cards but i lay out again all 78 cards in that format but not in that not with the cards in each one and i look for how to say things that's when i do that how do i say this oh bomb 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 how do i say this da, 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 da. so on and so forth um I know other people also do deck interviews where they lay out usually a fairly large number of cards to like, you know, um, what can you tell me? How should I work with you? Um, that sort of stuff to get to know their cards. But I do think it's really important that you cleanse, use. You do not cleanse and put away and then use later. Um, just like when you cleanse a house, you cleanse and refill with joy and laughter. When you get a tool, you cleanse and charge. Same thing. If you'd like to charge your deck the same way you would any other magical tool, that's great. There's a lot of traditions that do that also. But don't cleanse and then put it away. Use mm -hmm. it right after. Establish that bond. Establish that energy. Yeah. Actually, one thing I've, I've been wondering lately um, when it comes to cleansing, the, the fire and air part, we use incense. Um, I've always known it as being um, uh, loose incense on a charcoal block. Um, mm. yeah. But some people will use an incense stick. And I've often wondered if that has the same effect. I've used sticks sometimes, um, especially back when, you know, I didn't necessarily have, um, if we were going to somebody else's house for ritual or something like that, sticks are much more transportable. I don't think it's that big of a difference. The only thing I really worry about incense sticks is you better know what's in there. Mm -hmm. um, so you know what you're contributing. I like my my charcoal discs and my resins because I know it's just frankincense or right. it's just myrrh. And that's what I use for cleansing, by the way, is frankincense resin. That's yeah. I mean, it's just a wonderful all-purpose. I can always turn to it. If it's like some heavy-duty shit, like this deck makes me want to vomit when I touch it kind of things, but I need to cleanse it. I also use rosemary because that mm. will clean anything. And I put ammonia in the, the water and salt. Just a mm. tiny little drop of ammonia in the water and salt. And that's some heavy duty cleansing stuff that will 
will take care of pretty much anything. Now, if you don't want to get your cards wet, you can flip them all face down and just do it on the back if you're worried about that. Or um, I have seen some people say lay it under a piece of plastic, but I don't know if that works or not. The other thing I've seen people do is take the entire deck tightly together like this and then dip their fingers in the water and just wipe it on the edges to cleanse it. Um, or dip their fingers in the water and handle each card, cleansing each one if you don't want to sprinkle. Because it, it depends on what your cards are made of and, and the coating and that sort of thing, if you're worried about getting them wet or mm. if you don't want them to get beat up. You know, it, what deck and, and your own preferences. Mm. Um, Yolandi also asked, why do some readers not read the, the cards as they fall upside down specifically? Some readers don't read reversals. I think that's mm. a personal choice, something that always comes up in tarot class. I usually spend a couple classes talking about reversals. Um, and if you don't want to read reversals, that's fine. A lot of people recommend don't start out reading reversals because you've already got 78 cards to learn. Although. Mm. I do not recommend trying to memorize the cards. Um, you won't get very deep there. Uh, you'll get keywords. And if you're just going to read a deck of keywords, why not just get some index cards and write the words on the cards? But there's a reason the tarot is not like that. There's a reason the tarot is images. So I recommend you learn the symbols and then see what the symbolic image is on each card. Um, but some people don't read reversals. Um, and, and that's fine. There are various ways to read reversals and understand what they mean. I usually start with, you know, as we're learning through a tarot class and I get people to start their readings, I say don't read reversals. Let's just start just the symbols there. We're not going to worry about if they're upside down. Next level, I start with, okay, now we're going to allow reversals. And um, when I shuffle, I split my deck in half and I turn one half upside down, there's our favorite card, the Three of Swords, so that every time I shuffle, half the deck is reversed. And then I shuffle, bridge, and then I split the deck and turn it upside down again. So, um, but anyways, second stage, I talk about reading reversals only as direction. It doesn't affect meaning. So if we've got this arrangement, the Queen of Wands is looking away from the Moon card. And the energy, therefore, is turning away from the meaning of this. It doesn't affect the meaning. But if she were upright, she would be looking towards and therefore interested in the Moon card and going towards it. That's my first stage of reading reversals. And then the next stage I add on is the adjustment of the meaning, um, which I read similar to how I understand retrogrades, the, the card is representing energies that do not have the capacity to support that part of the story or that part of the energy. They must refuse it. They must return it. Um, or if they are like the last card in the story, they're the ones left holding the ball, they're going to drop it. They're not going to be able to accomplish it. So that's how I read reversals. But there are other ways. Um, there are ways to read it so that the energy there is blocked. Or um, I had one uh, teacher, she, she mainly read um, playing cards, by the way, 
but she had marked all her playing cards so they now had a top and a bottom. And if they came up reversed, she just put the word no in front of it. Mm. You know, so um, if the the five of clubs came up reversed instead of, oh, there's going to be a funeral, no funeral. They're not going to die. They're going to be fine. That sort of thing. So there's lots of different ways. This is one of those experiment. Figure out what works for you. Uh, try out the different um, methods of understanding reversals when you get to that point and you're ready to add that into your practice and see what you like. Um, I do sometimes change it around. And this is my big thing when doing any form of divination, especially things like Tarot, where you can have different spreads. You can read reversals or not. You can have time cards or not time cards. Um, you can have reversals read in different ways. Decide what set of parameters you're going to use before you start shuffling those cards. And you can't change it on the fly because you've thrown all of your um, testing veracity right out the window at that point. If you decide, I'm going to do a spread, ask this question, I'm going to lay out three cards for it. Okay, shuffle, lay out three cards. Don't be like, I don't know about that, and then just keep going. Mm -hmm. Or change your mind halfway through shuffling, now I'm going to do this. If you lay out those three cards and you want to um, open up the cards is what's usually called, you may shuffle again to ask that question. What does this card mean? Can you tell me more about this? Dive deeper into this. That may mean picking up those cards and shuffling again. It may mean just shuffling the remainder of the deck. It may mean getting another deck, another type of cards, adding cartomancy, adding a different tarot card, tarot deck, adding um, oracle cards on top of it. But don't change your mind about what the parameters of the language are on the fly. Decide before you start shuffling. You, you get your question. You know that you know, your parameters for your answer, you know that. Then you can shuffle and lay out your cards and read them. And then if if you're not done at the end of that process, which I frequently am not, I like to have a conversation back and forth, you start that process again. Get your question, get your parameters, your shuffling and your layout, and so on and so forth. Mm. <clears throat> um, Safra said, uh, I use the sound of the shuffling to enter a trance state. Yeah, can definitely, yeah. definitely use that. Me too. I figured that out one time when I was, um, I like to wear headphones all the time. And I had my, you know, ambient tarot music on while I was reading cards. And I couldn't hear the sound of the card shuffling. And I shuffled for like 30 minutes. And my hands yeah. were hurting. And I had never gotten the ding. I was like, yeah. oh, oh, I need to like hear the cards, don't I? <laughs> Mm -hmm. Speak to them. Yep. Yeah. Yep. No, I think that's where things get interesting when reading the tarot, though, is that um, you know it's not it's not just uh, reading the symbolism; it's reading how the cards fall. It's also reading how many um, cards of a particular um, um, suit, or um, how many fours there are, or how many tens there are, or things like that and all of those things come into play with it and how they're read together as a whole um so there's a lot that comes into play with reading the tarot yeah yeah and you know i've just shared my opinions today 
Mm-hmm. Other people will have other opinions. And I highly suggest you you shop those around. Listen to lots of different opinions. Listen to different tarot readers. And don't be afraid to, um, you know, divine on if that's the right thing for you. Uh, meditate on it. Use other forms of divination because these are all, you're always aiming at finding out the same lump of stuff and each divination system comes at it in a different way. So you can you can ask about, you know, will this work for me? Can I try this uh, right now? And just because it doesn't work for you now doesn't mean you might not come back to it six months, a year, a couple of years later and try it out again and see if it works. But mm-hmm. try lots of different things, listen to different tarot readers, see what what sounds like is going to work for you, and then follow that system for a while and give it a good good shake, good tryout. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, is that it for today? Got anything else you want to talk about? Um, the importance of a good question. I think um, especially recommending like Dusty White and, and Rachel Pollock and Benabel Lynn, you'll you read those sources, you'll understand the importance of the good question. But divination is a conversation. And if you ask a bad question, you're going to get a bad answer, as in it will be useful. And the thing I find most people ask, should I da 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 should I is not a good question. Mm. What will happen if I choose to? That's a reliable question. What do I need to know about this situation? Um, how can I better support this person or this situation? Um, and also, especially when you're beginning, don't go poking around in other people's lives because one, you don't have a developed sense of accuracy yet with your new divination system. And two, the only way to verify those things um, is to go poking around in their lives. And it just, again, do you want to participate in that energy? Mm-hmm. Do you want to set that up as how it goes? It's, I know so many people, um, you know, about year two into Tarot, they're good at it they're getting answers, they're getting accurate answers, and the temptation of, what is he thinking? What is he going to do? You know, uh, what is she doing? Why is she doing this to me? It comes up. It comes up for everyone. Mm. And here's this, this system that will give you those answers. But I don't think it helps. Just like don't do anything with magic that you wouldn't do without magic. Don't do things with divination that you wouldn't do without divination. You're going to get into these weird gray areas and it's it will cause problems. So just, you know, those ethics and um, those basic ideas, they don't change just because you have special skills, basically. So keep, keep those things in mind. I know a lot of readers do not read... Um, for the person that is not sitting there. You know, if a client comes to me and says, tell me what my boyfriend's doing. I'm like, okay, well, let's, let's work through that and find a good thing to ask. Are you feeling insecure? 
you know, would you like to um, get some tips on better communication or how to have a conversation that will be productive? That's something the tarot can absolutely help you with. But just, um, you know, let me spy on my boyfriend. It's not going to be a terribly productive use. And in my mind, all divination is also serving the same goal as the great work to become a whole unified person to reach enlightenment. And I want to use my divination tools in that manner for the service of others and the service of myself to pursue the great work, that great enlightenment. And I try to keep that in mind when doing divination. So I, I think that's important. Getting a good question, paying attention to your ethics. And honestly, I think that kind of thing is what people talk about when they talk about the temptations of the occult. It's not, you know, some weird demon thing or, or whatever. It's, it's violating your own ethics because with great power comes great responsibility, Peter. You know, mm. it, it's that sort of thing. Um, I just remember there's another question that I see come up sometimes is um, asking the same question over and over again. Mm. Um, you'll get. Uh, I've seen some people say that the cards get will get annoyed with you, and therefore you'll get start getting um, different answers for the same thing. Um, but you can you can ask the same question of different systems of of divination to oh, back up or confirm, but don't ask the same system over and over and over again the same question. Just because well, you didn't like it. That's there's the key, because you didn't like the answer. Mm. And I don't know that I necessarily believe the cards get annoyed with you, but if you're again, if you're going to a friend for advice and you don't take their advice and you just keep going back to them and asking the same question, what are you doing? Mm. <laughs> you're you're not making any improvements, you're not doing any work, you're not trying to solve the problem on your own. You, you know, didn't really want an answer in the first place. Right. You didn't want a truthful answer. You just wanted to hear what you wanted to hear. So why are you asking mm. the tarot? And if you're not listening, I find that the cards usually get shitty. And it's because <laughs> if you're not listening to your friend, you know, uh, the conversation goes from, oh, yeah, honey, I'd be, I'd be happy to help you to, why the fuck aren't you listening to me? I've told you 20 times. You know, that's, <laughs> that's how this goes. There's something, mm. something you're having a conversation with. Whether you think that's the cards, your ancestors, guiding spirits, divinity, the universe, whatever it is, those relationships are still present, I think. Mm. But yes, absolutely. You can ask the same question of different um, systems to help verify. It's a great way to learn. If you already know one divination system, learn another one side by side. Um, that's why I record the date and time of my tarot readings in my tarot journal, because I would also go pull up a horary chart at the same time and read the horary mm. chart. Um, so I can, you know, I'm asking the question. It's a singular birth of the question um, that I read through the tarot in the moment, through the, the process of omenology. But then I also read um, through horary astrology at the moment. And Quite frequently, I will also take my tarot card spread 
grab my pendulum and use my pendulum to read the cards that are spread out. And mm. that's still exploring the same question. That's still um, doing the same thing. But if you go back to the tarot every week and you, you know, should I do this or should I do that? Should I buy a car? Should I go to college? So on and so forth. You're not going to get productive answers. Um, mm. And eventually, even if you think it's your subconscious or your higher self speaking to you, whatever grows impatient with your lack of willingness to do the work and make improvements. Mm. And I think the key there is not to ask the same question, but listen to the answer and then ask a question which helps to understand that answer better. Um, you're asking about the same thing, but you're just not asking the same question. Yeah, and get a good question. Um, yeah. uh, I very, very rarely have a client come to me with a good question to start. I don't expect them to. That's not their job. Mm. That's my job as a reader to help take that original impulse and shape it into something useful that we can actually communicate with the universe with. We can actually ask the divine and get a reasonable, um, useful, supportive oracle out of it. And mm. if that's you, you got to do that work. you got to play both sides of that. So taking the time to work through the process of developing a good question, of refining it, really thinking about it. And then once you get the good question, you have to do the, the really honest thing. Do I actually want to know? Can I accept these uh, answers? You know, I, I've asked questions about, will somebody I, I deeply care about die? Are they going to make it through this stay in the hospital or this health challenge? And I have to ask, do I really want to know? Really, mm. truly. Can I handle that? And sometimes the answer is no. And if that's the case, it's not time to do divination. And that's okay. You don't have to do divination on everything. Mm. Uh, but, you know, when we're scared, when we're panicked, when we're in distress, we turn to whatever we can. And there's nothing wrong with that, but you need to be honest about can you really accept the answers that will be given. And if not, then it's not time for divination. It's time to pray. It's time to mm. ask for help. It's time to go to your guides and say, help me. I want this. I don't want that, you know. Mm. So um, it doesn't. It doesn't always have to end in divination. But if you don't start with a good question, you're not going to have productive processes with any divination. Um, if you don't enter into it in with the idea that you're consulting a friend for advice and you're going to um, take action on that information, it doesn't always mean doing what it says. But, you know, a lot of times people will have uh, tarot readings, especially that show something bad happening, right? If you continue down this path, here is the likely outcome. And then because of that, they don't continue down that path. So they change the reading and it doesn't come out that way. They, mm -hmm. they take action on that information. And then the reading doesn't come true. Um, not that I really think readings work like that, but, you know. Guidance, really. Yeah. Mm. 
All right. Uh, should we bring today to an end? In two hours. Ish. Yep. Rambled uh, and rambled. Of course, I could ramble for for days about her. <laughs> that's good rambling, so it's all right. Uh, okay, so next week we are doing the Astro Forecast for September. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, we'll see everybody then. All right. Have a good one. Thank you all for spending your time with us today. It was yep, thanks for great to see everyone again. <laughs> I don't get to actually see you, but I see your names pop up. I know you're there. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Thanks, everybody. See you next Bye. week. Have a good one. Bye-bye. Thank you for joining us in the Wildwood. Meet us again next week for another episode. And don't forget to check out our website at intothewildwood.com. That's Wildwood with a Y. And if you would like to support us, you can leave a donation on the website.